Video. You know you need it. You know it's all but expected from Gen Z at this point. But you've got no time and little budget, and your Marcom department is two months late on those new program brochures they promised. So asking them to help with a video? Forget it. But what if video could be as simple as sending an email to a prospective student? Meet GoodKind, a video engagement platform designed to make each one of your prospects feel like they're getting the extra special treatment. As an enrollment manager, you're competing for attention. And in a sea full of static, boring HTML emails from other schools, a personal video is how you stand out and drive action. With GoodKind, you can bring your university, faculty, and students to life by designing an engaging, hyper-personalized, and video-first communications journey. Increase applications, increase yield, and decrease melt with the power of GoodKind. Visit wearegoodkind.com forward slash enrollify to book a demo and see just how powerful video marketing can be show your face show you care see the difference connection makes at wearegoodkind.com forward slash enrollify why do we keep doing the same exact things you know right now why do we keep having our staff work on the same projects and the same and the same goals when they have changed and 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 students have changed and staff have changed and faculty have changed All right, Carrie, we're live. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Zach. How are you? I'm doing excellent. I'm also, uh, I don't know if you, I should have asked you if it was cool if I shared this or not, but I just learned <laughs> offline that you are the host of your own podcast. And yes. I guess uh, it's it's around like movies that you don't want to, to see, that you and your best friend go and you watch these movies and yes. then you, you critique them afterwards. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's it. We've been seeing movies together for a long time and We've just decided to put our conversations out there for public consumption, which I don't know if that's a good or bad idea, but <laughs> it's fun to do. So, <laughs> uh, well, as a uh, as a podcast host myself, it's always fun to meet another podcast host. So I, I love yeah. it. Um, that's Thanks. super cool. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to tune into it. But as much as I'd love to talk about movies that I don't want to see, um, <laughs> we're we're here today to talk a little bit about your your story, really. And yes. I I'd love to start by hearing about how you first came to work in in higher education because I know that you had a career before so what's um what's the story there most everybody I run into in higher ed um, and higher ed marketing has had the same experience of like just a transformational college experience right mm. so you go to college and you meet these great people and you get involved and you have great classes and it just tra- changes your life and so I feel like as soon as I graduated college I knew I wanted to go back <laughs> not necessarily back to school, but back to, to higher education. Um, but uh, unfortunately, I graduated in 2009. So it was the height of the recession. Yeah. And, you know, teaching jobs and higher ed jobs just weren't weren't really stable at the time. So I ended up going a different direction. And like you said, I had 
a really varied career path. I worked uh, for the National Archives for a few years. I worked at a movie studio for a few years down in LA. Um, And then I worked for nonprofits. So I worked for a ballet company um, for a few years as well. Um, I ended up coming back to my alma mater, uh, California Lutheran University, and working for them about six years ago in the alumni office. And it was just a really, really great fit. I was as enthusiastic as one could get about alumni relations and higher education. And at the time in my life, it was it was a really, really awesome opportunity um, to, I felt like, give back to my university in some ways with mm-hmm. my service. Um And so I worked in alumni relations for about three years and I kind of fell into the digital communications kind of niche of the office. So doing email marketing and social media. And then I received a really great opportunity to be the director of advanced marketing and digital philanthropy in 2019, right before the pandemic. So uh, the last three years of of working at Cal Lutheran were, were just a really, really great learning opportunity in that sense. Yeah, yeah. Is there a um, is there a story of of your time there that you think really helps encapsulate what you what you love about higher education? There's so many. I think I just I loved being on campus. I think with the students again, with that transformational experience that you receive as a student. And I know not everyone gets that, but um, I certainly experienced that. I think um, my ex- my experiences changed my life. And so hmm. just wanting to um, help others feel that same way was really important to me. And I think uh, new student orientation always every every yeah. year is is one of those times of the year that you are you are given the opportunity to interact with new students and parents and and um, the the campus really comes alive. And I think that I was just really always looking for those opportunities to interact with students and alums and kind of build that affinity for Cal Lutheran homecoming. I worked homecoming for like six years. <laughs> that was always such a fun time of year to go back to campus and, 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 you know, work and, and show our, our Cal Lutheran pride. So, yeah, I think it's hard to pinpoint like one specific yeah. example, but it's just the feeling of these certain, you know, like temple events on campus. So NSO commencement, homecoming, just feeling the pride and, and just um, helping people feel that way as well. It sounds like you also, in a relatively short period of time, well, relatively short as, as far as like higher ed is concerned, um, it seems like you, you held several several different mm-hmm. roles. So talk to us a little bit about like that progression, because I know that for, for many folks working in higher ed, sometimes it can seem quite limiting, mm-hmm. your growth potential, your growth opportunities. You, you essentially have to wait till somebody, you know, retires yeah. uh, before you have a, a chance at moving up. So Talk to us a little bit about how you how you progressed uh, throughout your time at, at Cal Lutheran and what like circumstantially or contextually happened to to enable those those changes and, and those progressions. Sure. Um, that's a great question because it, it did feel like that for a while. It is true. You know, the the um, new role gro- growth, new position growth and, and bringing new people in is, you know, at the beginning, my tenure was definitely not there. Um, but what what really helped was that we had a change in leadership. So um, mm-hmm. our uh, VP of advancement, he he retired. And so we brought in a new VP of advancement and she uh, is just a really wonderful person. And she really wanted to to change things up, which I, I, I get mm-hmm. and I understand. Um, so 
it really started with our giving days. So we had calories and giving days that was potential primarily um, annual fund related um, when I first started working at Cal Lutheran. And then when our new VP came in, we ended up opening the giving day model up to um, different areas of campus. So not just annual fund, mm-hmm. so, you know, it's very popular these days to see giving days that are support, whatever area you want to on campus. So, yeah. so in my role in alumni, I had a chance to help support that. And uh, I helped run uh, the ambassador program, which was really, really wonderful. Again, interacting with alums and community members and getting them engaged and hyped up for um, in, with Cal Lutheran Pride. So once that happened in 2019, my new VP of advancement kind of saw that I had this niche of digital communication and marketing. And so she kind of plucked me out of alumni and um, created Mm. this role for me. And again, that is so rare. And I acknowledge that. And I'm so thankful for that opportunity because it's not every day that a role um, is created for you, but then higher ed. So it was a really great opportunity again, um, kind of scary, obviously, just um, paving my own way and kind of making my own job description and and figuring out what was really the need in the department. But one of one of the biggest uh, roles that I got to play was uh, being kind of the manager producer of Giving Day going forward. Again, became wow. quite challenging as my first Giving Day was uh, during the pandemic. So it was we were supposed to have our first giving day of April, 2020. Obviously we postponed and uh, moved it to May and and did a complete rebranding in about four weeks. Again, it was awesome. It turned out great. We tripled our donations and uh, the, the pride and the empathy from our community was just, it was great. So again, um, acknowledging that like positions don't get created every single day in higher ed. So I was really lucky to be on the receiving end of a change in leadership and kind of that new um, ideas and new energy into the department. Hey, all Zach here from Enrollify. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows too. Our podcast network is growing by the month and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. Our shows feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. Learn from Mickey Baines, Jeremy Tears, Jamie Hunt, Corinne Myers, Jamie Gleason, and many, many more. You can learn more about the Enrollify Podcast Network at podcasts.enrollify.org. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea. Find yours at podcasts.enrollify.org. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds like one of the things that was that was really really neat that you got to take advantage of was the ability to to sort of chart your own course a little bit right to be recognized as hey you've got this expertise and you're using it in this particular you know this small niche what if what if you use this as you know in a in a, in a wider yeah. capacity right it's, it's a need that the organization the institution has at a at a broader level carrie why don't you come and help us figure this out and i i think that one of the things that's been interesting as we I've talked to several people who have made this change and they've reflected on their own journey in higher ed is there does seem to be this this common love that people who've worked in the space for a while have for the ability to have you know some 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 direction but also a lot of autonomy right and I feel like the, the this common narrative that I'm that I'm hearing is like oh well you know what I loved most was when I 
had the opportunity to kind of like be creative, even if I didn't have every mm-hmm. resource that I needed, having, you know, at least some resources, but then having the permission and the freedom to kind of mm-hmm. chart my own course. And then it seems like the folks who, who haven't had that experience, right, are, um, are maybe, maybe, maybe this is a little bit of a harsh word, but a little bit more like bitter yeah. about, about things and, 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 you know, a little bit more bitter when they kind of like reflect on their experience. But all the people that can reflect on their experience positively, um, it, it's there seems to be this there seems to be something about being able to empower people to do a particular role, give them you know some guardrails, but then the permission to kind of like drive the car themselves. That kind of goes back to just letting people do their jobs, like you said. Like it's I think that's so important is is to let people do their <laughs> jobs and not kind of stand in the way of them, whether it's like micromanagement or lack of resources, and when we all come across those, I came across this as well, but. Um, having the trust and the transparency within a, a department to be able to do your job um, to the best of your ability, I think is is a key factor in being satisfied with your job. So, well, I want to hear about when you started looking elsewhere. Like, were you were you approached by a recruiter? Did you had you just you know had enough? <laughs> uh, like, what what what's the story behind? when you first started looking and and ultimately what was it that convinced you or, or compelled you that now was the time sure to um i admittedly didn't really think about higher ed marketing agencies as a as a job career choice um until the pandemic hit and and people made that switch to remote work um there weren't any really big named mm. industry or agency excuse me around me in la that i was looking at so um, I actually had a colleague at Cal Lutheran who left to take a job at Simpson Scarborough as well. And so when I heard that, I was like, oh, okay. And I, and I started doing research and I wasn't really actively looking. I was kind of peaking a curiosity, I, I think. And so once that curiosity was peaked, I just kind of kept my eye on things. I wasn't approached by anyone. I just kind of was you know, again, secured my job, but also wondering, okay, what's next for me? Because I did feel that way in my job a little bit, you know, obviously I got this great chance and the job was created for me, but really there was nowhere else for me to go (laughs) above the role that I was in. So, um, I, I think that I was always just kind of keeping my eye on things, so to say, but I think that there wasn't really a catalyst for, me saying like, okay, I have to leave now, but it was more of the opportunity that presented itself. That was more appealing than actually leaving, mm. if that makes sense. What were some of your, your bigger fears, uh, about, about leaving? I think that when you work at, you know, a place and you work at a place for a certain amount of time, it's like having a security blanket, right? It's how Lutheran mm-hmm. has been a part of my life for 16 years. Um, I went there. I met my husband there. I'm very familiar with the campus. I am the product of the place. I know how to market it because I am the product. Um, the job, you know, I did have a certain amount of freedom that I, I loved and, and really enjoyed working with all of my colleagues. So I think that leaving all of that is just really scary in and of itself. But I think that the excitement of a new opportunity also drew me in, right? It's it's fun to think about yeah. doing something else and and trying a different avenue and really figuring out. I mean, I'm I'm old, too old to be saying this, but figuring out what I really want to do with my life. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> no, we're never too old for that, Carrie. Good, never good to too hear. old for that. I am curious about how remote work played a role in all of this. So were you all, how long were you all remote at Cal Lutheran and um, you know, there's obviously been lots of headlines, lots sure. of people talking on social about just total burnout from, from, you know, COVID and just how challenging that particular season of, of life was for, for so many people. But I, I do feel like hired administrators had like a, a special dose <laughs> of hard during that, during that season. So I'm curious, like what, um, what role did that season of time uh, if at all, kind of play in your in your decision to, it, to look. It elsewhere. played a huge factor in my decision to 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 look elsewhere. Actually, so we were remote for two years, really, like fully remote for about two years, I believe. I again was in a unique situation. I was not a student facing role, so I did not have daily interactions with students or really need to be on campus for my role. At digital marketing, everything could be done on the computer. I ran two giving days yeah. from my living room. <laughs> so, I mean, I was really, really comfortable working from home. Um, I've been working since I was 16 years old and it was honestly the first time I felt like I had some semblance of a work-life balance, which was really great. I got to spend more time with my family. I have a son who's four and that was really big for me because I felt like I could be there for him. Um, luckily, I didn't have to worry about childcare as many as my colleagues did my his daycare never shut down which was really great so I didn't have those same challenges um but it just really was a, a transformational for me in terms of my work and my mm. life um to to be remote and so you know higher education is just really funny that way I I just we there were some really unnecessary struggles with the the hybrid and the remote work um from from my alma mater which you know definitely played into my my decision to look elsewhere and especially since my son again he'll be starting kindergarten next year so it was really important for me to have yeah. a role that was more flexible yeah. so I could be there for him when he started school and just be able to focus on my family a little bit more so um, they started to get us to go back to campus and there was definitely resistance in implementing a hybrid work schedule or any kind of remote work program. And so it just became the thing where I was like, well, I know I can do my job from anywhere. Like, why, why do I need to be here yeah. in my office with no windows and my door closed? Cause I can't, you know, have my door open because of masking and that just seems very isolating. So yeah, it did yeah. play a really big part. I, I was definitely looking for remote options and more in-person options that had more of a flexibility route, like built into the job description. I want to hear a little bit about sort of your expectations going into agency yeah. life. Cause there's this, you know, there's a lot of, um, uh, there's a lot of, I think two things fear, right? Some people think, Oh, well, like, Hey, the benefits in higher ed, the work-life balance in higher ed, like you're not, you're not going to get any of that at an agency. Right. And then you've got the other, you know, on the opposite side of things, you've got the, the grass yeah. is always greener. Like, wow. Like, the agency's life is like the sweet life, being a consultant, whining and dining people, flying over the all over the country. Like that's what I want to do. Like they have it so easy. Oh, they get paid more than me, right? So, what were some of your, I guess, um, uh, perceptions of of agency life, if if any, going into sort of this search, and then how have those expectations played out in real life? I honestly didn't really have a lot of perceptions because I don't know agency life well. So I tried not to, you know, set myself up <laughs> for any sort of failure, if that makes sense. But 
I know that, you know, I was going to get good benefits. I knew I was going to get a good work-life balance. I knew that the work was going to be different, um, harder, but I was okay with that. I really wanted to kind of go back to content creation and I wanted to kind of go back into that role of doing uh, a bit more hands-on work than I was doing in my leadership role at Kalu. Um, so that, that was, that was a, a shift that I was consciously making, but honestly, like the, the biggest fear that I had about jumping to agency life was the reputation of the agency. Like the Simpson Scarborough is a mm. uh, really highly regarded agency. And so I was not concerned about <laughs> them, but about me and like fitting in and, and saying like, okay, all these people are the smartest in the industry. They're like, you know, the people that you see making headlines and writing these great thought leadership articles. And I'm like, am I going to fit in with them? Is this going to be a thing? Like, (laughs) you know, um, I'm not as well known as these people are that I see on Twitter all the time. Um, But really, honestly, like I have met the nicest people in my job and everybody's so wonderful. And turns out I had nothing to worry about. So it's just me like being internally freaking out in my mind. But honestly, I, I try to remain flexible just like day-to-day in my day-to-day life and in my expectations. That's just kind of how I, I roll, but um, it's been great. Everything that I've really yeah. thought about the benefits and the work-life balance and the work have been met or exceeded, which is really great. Again, I think the agency's reputation precedes itself. So it's really, really important to, I think, do the work of where you're going <laughs> to, if you want to switch jobs, you know, do the work yeah. and, and really yeah. research, you know, where you want to, uh, work and ask the the right questions and make sure they're a fit for you as much as you're a fit for them. So. Yeah. One of the, one of the questions that we get from subscribers who, who write in and we've got Enrollify has a, a jobs board. And so we'll get people that will write in and ask questions about like specific job postings and, and, you know, Hey, I'm thinking about doing something like this or, Hey, what do you know about, you know, this particular agency? Um, and, I, I always love receiving these emails because it just gives you like good insight into like what people mm-hmm. are thinking, right? Uh, um, and their their fears, their concerns, their their hopes, their dreams. Um, and uh, one one of the questions that we recently got from someone was, "Hey, do you have a, do you have any data on like the average number of jobs that someone who's leaving higher ed might if they're if they're applying to an agency, like how many agencies yeah. are they like yeah. applying to, right?" And I was like, oh, that's yeah. like a really good question. And I was like, I, unfortunately, like I don't have I don't have any of that data on hand, but noted, we'll, we'll look into this, right? So, uh, you know, have did you did you how many like workplaces did you look at before? Like roughly, like was it was it easier to get a job than you kind of thought? Was it harder to get a job than you thought? What were your expectations, uh, and then how how were they? Uh- that's a, another great question. Um, I only applied to Simpson Scarborough. Like I, I kind of, I'm one of those okay. people that I, if I know where I want to work, then I just, I kind of set my intentions on that and make it, make it happen again, super, super lucky, super privileged in that way. Um, but I had, like I said before, I had a colleague who left Kelly Luther to work for Simpson Scarborough. And so I kind of had his, um, experience to kind of go on, which is great. Um, I had also been yeah. friends with Simpson, Simpson Scarborough folks for a while on Twitter um, in the higher ed sphere, which was great. So I initially <laughs> reached out to Matt McFadden about a, another job, not the job I have right now. And he graciously spoke to me for a little bit and I ended up not getting that job, which was fine. But a couple of months later, I saw the job opening for this job and I said, you know what, let's just go for it. I had, I had no expectations. I was like, I wow. know I can do the job. Um, so I applied for it and, um, 
the rest is history. So I, I was really, really lucky. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to get the job at all. Um, but once they announced that Steve App was coming on as AVP of business development and marketing, I was like, I know I, I need to work here because I would love to work with them. And he knows that I've already told him <laughs> that he's my boss now. So, um, but I just knew that it, these are the people I wanted to be with and surround myself with and, and yeah. learn from. I think that was the important thing is kind of like, make sure that you're going to a job, especially if, if it's a, a marketing agency or somewhere well-known that you, you surround yourself with people that you want to learn from and you look up to. And I think that's so yeah. important for per personal development as well as professional development. So once I, you know, the, the puzzle pieces started fitting into place, I kind of started feeling like, yeah, this is where I'm meant to be. So. What I love about that story, Carrie, is that I think some people like it, it's a good testament for why you should be active oh, on totally. social in oh your gosh. network, right? And just just being able to like observe, like I don't know how many times you actually like met Steve App in never. person, but like <laughs> you you know, see yeah, you never met him, right? And and seeing him and, and Matt McFadden and, yeah. and others, right? Like seeing how they talk and how the things mm -hmm. that they're interested in and like how they how they joke and jab and like the their own thought leadership kind of um packaged into you know just a couple hundred characters right and thrown on thrown on the twitter and whatnot i think that that is a really good way for you to assess kind of like the culture of a place and the and the culture of, yeah, of personalities absolutely. right and i think that that's like an uh, that's something that anyone no matter where you're at no matter like how soon or not soon you're thinking of a, a shift getting involved in that community is super super easy even if you just lurk for a yeah. while, right, and don't necessarily contribute, like you can you can learn a lot about culture and and you know brand reputation and just meet really awesome, helpful, cool folks. And I think that that's just like an underrated, very simple thing that anyone can mm -hmm. do that has you know access mm -hmm. to the internet and has you know a Twitter or LinkedIn or, or mm -hmm. you know what have you. Uh, pick pick your social media platform of choice, and I think that that's um. That's just maybe a super helpful takeaway for anyone listening. That's like, oh, I don't even know like where to start. Like, how did Carrie even like know that Simpsons cover yeah. had a good reputation, yeah. right? Like, that's an easy, easy way for anyone to start. Twitter personally has just been transformational for me. I've used it since pretty much the beginning, but I've used it mostly for networking. So like going to conferences and using that conference hashtag, I've met so many people yeah. that way. Um, again, connecting with like thought leaders in the industry. Um, I, you know, met Liz Gross that way. I met Ashley Budd that way. Like all of these people that I am connected to through Twitter. And like you said, Steve, I'd, I'd never met Steve in person or talked to him in person <laughs> until my interview with him. Um, for this job. And, mm. but I had no, he knew me, he knew me from Twitter. I knew him from Twitter. So it's just, it's really, it's really <laughs> interesting. And, and you can make that experience what you want to, which is really great too. So if you really want to be visible and involved, then you can do that. If you want to be a lurker and, and have, you know, like these connections, but have private conversations off Twitter, you can do that as well. So it's just a really, really powerful yeah. tool you know, I know not everyone's going to agree with me on that, but I just find it to be um, a great, a really great networking tool. Couldn't agree with you more there. It does feel like we have a little bit of not mm -hmm. so much of a tolerance for just the casual like water cooler conversation. Like it, I noticed it in just how I interact with my own team. It's like it, if you are taking the first five, seven minutes of a meeting, just yep. kind of, you know, shooting the shit. It, it, it feels we like it, it feels weird. Whereas if this meeting was in person, 
a hundred percent of the time that's how these meetings would have started right like and it's just it's just funny how we have different expectations when it comes to especially meetings Mm -hmm. virtually versus versus in person so do you guys use um have you heard of the donut app no what's that so the donut app and i know that steve app loves his donuts (laughs) um it's not that kind of donut i don't even know why it's called i guess it's called a donut because you're supposed to like i don't know have breakfast or something while this chat happens so what it is is it's a, it's a slack app and it's i believe it's free maybe we may we might have a paid version but i think it's free and what it does is it just randomly pairs everyone in your channel um you can do it once a week or twice uh, once every other oh, week wow. with somebody else on the team so i get you get paired up randomly like totally ra- like and then it's a 30 minute chat and you are not allowed to talk about work wow so y- you have to talk you, you can't even like you can say like if you've never met i guess like hey this is who i am and this is my role yeah. but that's it like then it's you have to talk about something else and what they do donut has like all these prompts so like yeah. if you're like if you you know just more of an introvert and you don't eat that kind of schmoozing doesn't come naturally yeah to you, no worries here's like a bunch of different prompts you can pull from anyways what's been so fun about it is it, it, when uh, a team member suggested it at first, I thought, oh, I don't know. This is going to be like dumb. It is like everybody loves it. It's been so fun. And you, you get to have those personal conversations yeah. with people that you otherwise like might never cross paths with outside of like once a year at like an all team retreat. And even then you might say hi, but that's it. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of the the donut app. Oh, good um, to know. That's a great one. I, I just post like random things in our team's channels. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. this is my playlist for today. What are you listening to? Or uh, <laughs> one of our colleagues like started a pet, like pet picture Friday. So we all share pictures oh. of our pets, which is great. Um, and like recipes. I'm a big, I love to cook. So I'm always like, oh, I tried this. Like, um, what is everyone else cooking? So yeah. I'm always trying to start those <laughs> random conversations. I'm like, is anybody there? Like, hello, <laughs> yeah. you know? But uh, um, yeah, I I think any kind of chance that's a fantastic app though. That's really cool. So yeah, I'm sure they they must app. work with Teams too. But um, and I, I know they're definitely a, a Slack app. But um, yeah, couldn't can't recommend it enough. I do uh, have just two final questions for you, Carrie. Sure. One one is around: Is there anything that your leadership could have done at Cal at Cal Lutheran to to kind of keep you like if they're when you, when you when you go back and you think about your time there wh- when you had that conversation with the powers that be that you would be taking a new opportunity is there anything that like could have been said to make you change your mind and if so um what what would that thing be you know at the time when i when i did give notice i i was pretty set and excited about my opportunity so they probably couldn't have said anything to change my mind towards the end i kind of had this piece about it that i really looked at the environment that I was working in and the job that I was doing and I, and, and the resources that I didn't have and had, and just really felt like, okay, I think I've done everything that I can do for Cal Lutheran at this point in my life. Yeah. And I think that when you reach that kind of finality and that peace hmm. with your job, you're ready, you're ready to go. And, you know, there are people that stay in roles for way longer than they should, because they, they've just run out of, like productive things to contribute, you yeah, know? So yeah. I feel like, you know, having that peace of mind to say like, okay, I'm not opposed to like going back in the future, yeah. you know, if there's a role for me and there's an opportunity for me there, I would love to go back. But at the time and in the space that I was in, I had, I had felt like I had done everything that I could, you know, yeah. at the time. 
I don't envy leadership positions right now. I don't envy higher ed administrative positions. You couldn't pay me enough to do what the, you know, these people do. That being said, and this could be really naive on my part, but I really, really wish that higher ed leadership would take a pause. Hmm. Um, I feel like uh, throughout the pandemic, there was just this really intense need to keep going, to keep the trains running, to keep, you know, staff busy, to keep, you know, X, Y, Z going. And there's a certain point where in higher ed, I feel like you hit a roadblock because you keep trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. Mm. You know, mm. higher education is not the same as it was two years, two or three years ago. So why, why do we keep doing the same exact things, you know, right now? Why do we keep having our staff work on the same projects and the same, and the same goals when they have changed and, and, and students have changed and staff have changed and faculty have changed. So in my naive mind, in my brain, I'm like, I wish higher ed administrations would just take a pause, reevaluate the staff that they have and the goals that they do have and, and make them work together. Right. Because I feel like there's really a lot of miscommunication right now about goals and achievements and enrollment, and then the current staff that they have. Yeah. And, and what that staff can achieve. Right. So if everybody could kind of just take a pause <laughs> and just like strategically think through, and this kind of goes from anywhere from enrollment to student affairs, to advancement and to marketing, everything. Um, I think our higher ed institutions would be better for it. Mm. And they probably wouldn't bleed so much staff because staff members are trying to do five jobs. You know, one person is trying to do five jobs. So if leadership could just take take a step back and be like, maybe we don't need to achieve these 10 goals this year. <laughs> maybe we need three and maybe you can do this instead. I feel like a lot of people would be appreciative of that. So I'm, uh, I'm just retweeting all of that right now. <laughs> uh, Carrie, that was amazing. That, that, that's a, that's a wonderful thread. You, you got to write that. You got to just yeah. package that, that, that was so well said. I love it. I love it. I think what is, what is just so hard right now, um, is yeah. it, it does feel, it does seem, I would imagine, not that I know, but I, I would imagine it just feels like you you, you can't win. It, it, you, yeah. you, resources are drying up. You want to pay, yeah. pay your people more, but you just can't. You want more staff. You just you, the money's not there, right? Or yeah. you want this, and 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 like I, I I don't envy people in this position either. I do. <laughs> what I love about what you just said though is everybody can choose, right? To yeah. pause. Yeah. Pausing is allowed. <laughs> yeah. And having the opportunity to just take a break, take a breather. Go go drive out to a colleague's you know place for you know meet him for coffee meet him for lunch whatever it might be, and just remind people that they're wanted, that they're needed right. I, I think maybe this sounds trite, but I, I I really do believe it's it's a lot of these simple things that ultimately go a long way. And right now, if you're working at a college or university, you have to be playing and you're in a leadership position, you're playing the retention game. Like that is what you are trying. You are trying, you're, at least for your best people, you want to do everything that you can to keep them. And it's those small things. It's the encouragement to pause, to think, right? And then ultimately to empower in whatever way that you can. Those are the, those are the strategies to use for retention. It's the courage for mm. leadership to say that we need to pause yeah. too. Yeah. Because I think a lot of leadership is afraid to stop that momentum because yeah. they're afraid of something breaking, but it's already breaking. Like the wheels are falling off, yeah. like as we're moving, right? So if if our leadership had the courage to just say, like, let's, you know, let's pause new programs, let's 
pause the creation of new initiatives and, and evaluate what we have going on right now. Um, let's pause and increase in goals. No one needs that right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no one needs like a new stretch goal of like 15 or 20%, like no yeah. one needs that. So, <laughs> but just to, to, I think that a lot of people would look at leadership differently if they spoke up about mm-hmm. those kinds of issues and took, and took, took that time to really, you know, survey, I I hate to say, but like survey the damage and just kind of do a little bit more, you know, nurturing when it comes to their employees. Right. It's hard. And I, and I speak from a position of like, I, I don't know, I don't know if that's possible or what that entails, but it just seems like it would be the most helpful at this point. Um, when I look at, you know, other, colleagues struggling or dealing with the issues and and having to take on more work because the it just it's we're bleeding people yeah. right so yeah. yeah wow i mean so well said carrie this is oh, this is wonderful and I, I do hope that anyone who is in leadership that's tuning into this this conversation can find one maybe two really small ways to kind of actualize what you just said carrie yeah. uh this week right <laughs> over the next yeah. couple weeks <laughs> And I, you know, would just add to you, what, what would it look like to go to your best people, right? The people that like, you're like, yes, we, they're trying, they're motivated, they're positive. They understand, yep. they're not, you know, uh, they don't have blinders on, they recognize the hardship, right? But make sure that your best people are taken care of in every possible way that you can. The naysayers, yep. the negative folks, people that have been there for forever and are already kind of bitter, maybe if, if you only have so much energy to give give your energy to the positive people yeah. go make sure that they're taken care of well right and then hope that they can be kind of like these these catalysts these these lighthouses if you will for yeah. for hope and ask them how they're doing ask yeah. them what's one or two things that you can do this week to make their life a little bit easier a little bit less stressful maybe just a little bit more fun even right yeah. like you you've talked and so many people that we've talked to in the series have talked about the, the cultural components of campus and being like, the reason mm-hmm. I fell in love with higher ed was because of you know this event, homecoming, seeing these students, connecting with faculty, watching faculty and students like work together to solve problems. Like that's a beautiful image, right? And that, that's a hopeful image. So like, what does it look like to make sure, that's a fun image, right? So what does it look like to yeah. make sure that in whatever small ways that you can, folks aren't losing kind of like the heart of higher ed, um, at, least, at least your best folks. Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the things that I think would be easiest too, is like for you to go to your employees and say, what are you working on right now? Like what, what, what is priority? What is not priority? What can we drop off your plate right now? That's going to make your life easier. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, What a fun question. Yeah. (laughs) Even lightening the load a little bit, right? Like again, determining the priorities and what's really going to ladder up to those strategic goals of the university and what is just being done because we've always done it. Yeah. Like, I, I just like, that is something that I think a lot of people just get into a habit of like doing the same exact things because they've always done it. And that's just the way things are done. But I think that, I think I tweeted this the other day, like, if that's your strategy, then you need to rewrite it. Like, that's not gonna, <laughs> that's not gonna cut it anymore. Yeah. Maybe it worked three years ago, but it's not anymore. So even just going to your employees and saying, like, let's, let's talk about priorities. Let's set three goals for each of you and whatever is not laddering up to those goals. We don't need to worry about it this year. Yeah. Yeah. I think that kind of transparency and that kind of communication is going to be really received well within a team, especially after the couple of years that we've all had. So. 
Well, Carrie, this has been incredible. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy life to share your story with us, to give us some hope, uh, give us some practical, <laughs> give leadership some practical, practical ideas on, um, you know, simple things that they can do to reinvigorate their teams and, and, yeah. and just, again, like, uh, reduce the pressure, right? Um, this yeah, has been, absolutely. this has been great. If folks want to reach out or ask you questions or learn a little bit more about your, your own story, what's the best way for them to do so? The best way to, to find me is on Twitter. Um, <laughs> again, yay, Twitter. Um, I'm at underscore or miss underscore Carrie underscore Joe. That's my um, handle. So come and find me, start a conversation. Um, I retweet a lot of things. So I apologize. And uh, <laughs> a lot of it's like cooking and, and braves. I love um, it. I love it. I'm really well, sad and... about, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, right. And we'll also just go ahead and link your handle in the show notes below. So if you don't yeah. want to remember that, you could just scroll down to the show notes and go and follow Carrie. Carrie, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Zach. Hey, y'all, Zach here from Enrollify. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Enrollify podcast. If you like this episode, do us a huge favor and hit that follow and subscribe button below. Furthermore, if you've got just two minutes to spare, we would greatly appreciate you leaving a rating and a review of this show on Apple Podcasts. Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. But Enrollify is far more than just a podcast network. Enrollify is where higher ed comes to learn new marketing skills, discover new products and services, and find their next job. We're a growing learning community of 4,000 members, and we'd love to welcome you into the fold. You can access our free blog articles, newsletters, e-courses, and more, or purchase our master course on how to market a university with Terry Flannery at enrollify.org. We look forward to meeting you soon and welcoming you into the community. Again, you can subscribe for free at enrollify.org.